This is the Alpha Universe Podcast. I'm Christopher Robinson, editor of alphauniverse.com. And in today's show, I'm speaking with Kishore Saw, editor of SLR Lounge. In Tech Talk, Sony's LV Nadia explains the ins and outs of the Sony Live View display setting effect. And we get some do this now tips from Kish for photographers who are looking to become multifaceted storytellers. Kishore Saw is a true international man of mystery. His love of photography began with an interest in photographing military aviation, and from there he transitioned to portraiture and fashion. Known for his engaging writing style as well as his photography prowess, Kish is currently working as the editor-in-chief at SLR Lounge. I caught up with Kish to talk about the current state of photography journalism and the next generation of creatives who are changing the imaging landscape. Kish, thanks very much for joining us on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start by asking a little bit about your background. How did you get started in photography? Well, well, photography, I've always sort of just had a general interest in. I think I can probably say that it was nurtured mostly by my uncle, who um, sort of been a, a primary figure in my life, and he was always into photography. In addition to being a photographer, you were mentioning that um, you are, in fact, a writer. In fact, I would say you're primarily a writer. Is that is that a fair statement? I think at this point, it's probably fair to say that I, I write more than I shoot, although that's something that I'm looking to rectify now. And the writing thing kind of came out of nowhere as well. I wrote my school paper in university. I was a columnist for my university paper. Actually, I think it was the only one who was part of the writing staff that wasn't part of the School of Journalism and Mass Communications. And I've always had a, a love for writing, I guess. I like good writing. I like to, you know, to read good writing. And I think it's just a great way of expressing. How did you come to be the editor of SLR Lounge? <laughs> Well, I actually became a writer first, and I did that as essentially, or that came out of um, came out of a dare, actually, but that's a whole story for another time. What was the dare? <laughs> essentially, it was a dare that I couldn't get the writing position. I mean, I'd never shown any interest in it. I, I was coming from fields that were totally unrelated, other than the fact that I had a a personal interest in photography and and in writing, and uh, yeah, so someone had essentially said to me, "Oh, there's this thing, and you know, but you can't do it." And me, being the male sort of ego covered in skin that I can be at times, <laughs> sort of said, "Well, sure, let, let me see what I can do." And it sort of blossomed from there. I started writing a lot, and I wrote very differently than everyone else, uh, for better or worse. And it's been a few years now, actually. And it sort of came to the point where I could either assist in moving the content and the platform in the direction I felt photography was going and photography journalism was heading, or I would move on. And so from there, I took on um, the role as editor-in-chief. Your writing and a lot of the writing at SLR Lounge is a little different from a lot of the other writing in the photography journalism space. I'm differentiating that from photojournalism. What is the, the big difference, do you see? I think... To address that properly, I probably have to give a little disclaimer, and that is, I think photography on a whole is different now, and probably has been a bit more different for a few years now, than I think the pillars of photography journalism would have you believe. And with that, I think the audience is very different, and it is certainly changing, and I just didn't see that we could continue 
putting out the same kind of material that had always been done and sort of expected to continue with success. And so what I try to get my writers to understand and to try to put out is to always look for the message. Always look for the message and whatever it is, you know, rather than giving giving specs or a stats, like you're not just delivering facts, you know, give someone something to think about, you know, anyone can go in and read the label of something and, and know what the stats are, but what does that mean for someone? What does that mean for the industry? What does it mean for the individual reading it? Does it affect them? You know, how could it affect them? And I think that's much more engaging and enjoyable actually to consume. You know, as a baby boomer generation trickles out and this new generation has been rising, that generation has been largely ignored by not only camera brands, but the journalists within photography on a whole. And I think it's nothing insidious and nothing malicious. I think that it's just a sort of comfort zone where people think, well, this is what we've always done. It's a bit of a, a bold thing to do, given the fact that there is a whole new generation and that they think of things entirely differently. So that changing the guard means that how we approach it all is going to be different. And what has happened is with that changing is um, come the intersection of the, the shift of technology. Sony's doing this currently the right way. They are approaching that new generation. They're not ignoring them. They're not even waiting for that new generation to come to them. They're going to the places where they're at. And one only has to look as far as the uh, Alpha Universe Collective on a whole uh, to see evidence of that and the success of that. This is the future crowd and and this is the future of how we speak to them. Because at this time, I think photography, is it's a strange industry. You know, it's um, it's kind of marketing in and unto itself. And if we can accept that, we should then be able to accept the fact that everyone who's interested in photography aren't necessarily career professionals they're not doing this to put bread on the table and to send their you know send their kids to school they are doing it because they enjoy it and once we can accept that then you can speak entirely differently then you can speak to the emotion of it and you can speak to enjoying it rather than simply this tech can do this and this tech can do this and do you think that's the big difference is that the what we'll call sort of the the social media photography generation is the one that you have to speak to through emotion more rather than than technology? Social media is just media now, period. So to, to say the social media group, I think, is is both accurate and inaccurate. It, you know, yes, the younger generation is living on social, but social is just the way it is from now on. So social is no longer the outlier. Social is the norm. Social absolutely is the norm. I, I tell my writers now that when they're when they're writing, understand that largely their content is going to be consumed on a mobile device. And if that's the case, and they have a little bit of a screen for someone to read the first paragraph, they better hook those people with that first paragraph. There's got to be something on there that says, flick up. I think the difficulty of materializing a good photograph now compared to what it was 15, 20 years ago and before, it was... I don't want to say an old boys club, but you had to kind of have some specific knowledge to take a decent picture and to get it printed and all that. And that just isn't the case anymore. And what that in and of itself is what is democratized photography. Because it's democratized, again, it goes back to that 
the thing that not everyone who's in photography now, not even the vast majority, probably hardly more than 10% of people who are buying cameras and reading this information are actual career photographers. And if they're not, then these people really, they want to be entertained. You know, they, they want to enjoy this for what it is. There used to be a very much a guild aspect to photography and higher-end photography. The equipment was intensive and difficult to master, and you were kind of part of a, of a special club if you took the time to do that. You would speak a language that was foreign from the rest of the world, and that has really faded away. I think it's more that just the whole notion of professional photography and of, of higher-end photography, and I'm speaking of higher-end not in a, an exclusive club way, but in terms of a sophistication. And, and the photograph means sure. something more to you than just um, a cataloging of a memory. I think, however, what's happened to cameras and, and photography in a whole is sort of what's happened to, to the horse and buggy. You know, the, <laughs> the horse and cart were, were tools and they were things of utility. And, you know, when the combustion engine came along, we didn't just, you know, kill them all and make horse burgers. The horses became something of of leisure. Mm -hmm. They became something of enjoyment. And I think that's precisely what's happened in photography now, is that that has happened. I think that it has moved away from something that we do to achieve a result and something that everyone sort of just enjoys. You went to Tokyo and you actually had a chance to meet with some of the executives and engineers in Tokyo. What was that experience like? It was a unique experience, to say the least. It was unlike anything I'd probably pictured it was going to be. The biggest thing for me was the takeaway of the people behind Sony, because they are very, very different than essentially any other press team that I've dealt with. And different in, a, in what I think is a very good way. They are personal, they are personable, they actually seem to, to care. You know, there's that... Um, there's a sense of relationship building there. And again, it's it's the reaching out and appealing to the masses that have been ignored. And what struck me in Japan was that they certainly, to some degree, the folks at HQ would have had to sign off on sort of behavior, if you will, of the Sony Team USA. And so I think Sony gets it as well. I kind of expected them to be sort of, you know, older guys with these antiseptic personalities, and they were just not that at all. These were pretty young guys. You know, they were my age, early 30s, and engineers, wicked sharp, stylish, friendly. And I thought, that's not at all what I imagined. And I don't think that's at all what most people looking at Sony cameras would typically imagine. They would have imagined... You know, as I said, I'd previously written about Sony's staff in Tokyo probably being, you know, I said that the A9 was a kind of camera that you imagine is built in a world of matrices by men in white <laughs> suits who have number tags in place of names and a place where you just can't imagine anyone who worked there had ever sent their coworker a meme or frankly even knew what one <laughs> it was. And it was so the opposite of that. And it was such a lovely thing to see. And it was great getting to speak to them and to... And to see that the next generation of Sony cameras are coming from the next generation of photographers. Education is, is definitely, I think, a part of photography moving forward. It's not a matter of, well, you've got these very powerful cameras, you can set it to auto and not really understand what, what's happening. Well, 
the foundation of SLR Lounge is education. You know, if anyone was to go to our site, you would see that the absolute focus is on is on education. And it's not just technical education, it's on education. Um, you know, we have it for our you know tutorial side. Then we also have uh, the side of educating for people to be able to appreciate, explain why it's important and, and don't do it, you know, uh, with graph paper. Now, I mean, it, it feels sometimes that you have to have an engineering degree to understand your camera. I mean, to really, really understand the camera and what's going on and and what any changes in tech means for your images and how you use your camera and that kind of thing. And as all that becomes more technical, I think that puts some people off because it is a, it's a lot to take in and it, and it can get very deep and it can get very um, get very intense, which again I think falls back on the educating um, the educators I should say to strive to bring it across in a way that people can actually digest it. You can find links to SLR Lounge and some of Kish's top articles in the show notes at alphauniverse.com. In a few minutes, Kish will be back for our Do This Now segment with some insights on being a more effective writer in an age of evolving attention spans. One of the advantages of Sony mirrorless cameras for photographers coming from DSLRs is that you can truly see what you're going to get before you trip the shutter. To learn more about live view display setting effect and how it works, I spoke with Sony's LD Nadia. LD, thanks for being a guest on the podcast again. Chris, thank you very much for having me again. L, I got a question that was sent in by a reader who had an A7R3, and they were using it for the first times, and they were using it with strobe. And they were having an issue where what they were looking at on the on the LCD in live view was very, very dark. This is actually a, a common question that comes up, and it's typically from um, folks who have switched over from a, a DSLR over to a mirrorless system. So fundamentally, we need to understand how a mirrorless system works and how DSLR works. So essentially what a DSLR does is that light passes through the lens, it bounces off a mirror through an optical viewfinder into the person's eye. Then at the point that you push the shutter button, the mirror moves out of the way, the shutter opens and the sensor gets exposed, it takes the image and then closes again and you go back to an optical system. In a mirrorless camera, there is no mirror and you use an electronic viewfinder or the LCD. So light passes through the lens, doesn't bounce anywhere, passes through the lens, hits the sensor, sensor determines what you're seeing, sends that image to your electronic viewfinder or your LCD. So what we call this system in a, in a mirrorless system is it's continuous live view. Now default with most mirrorless cameras and with all Sony cameras is a live view preview effect set to on. So in the menu structure it'll be live view and it'll say effect on. And when it's set that way every, everything is WYSIWYG. Which is one of the biggest benefits of utilizing a mirrorless camera or a continuous live view camera. Because if you change your white balance you're going to see that effect actually happen on your LCD and you're going to change your exposure or even your shutter speed. You're going to see that effect happen in your viewfinder or on your LC immediately as it happens. And what does it do? It makes you a better photographer. This is why you know DSLRs are, are falling behind. They, they, they're dropping back in the evolution scale at the moment. Mirrorless cameras being continuous live view 
You can see that happen all the time. You can see those changes happening instantaneously, make your change and, and carry on shooting. And um, it makes you, like I said, a better photographer. And it's, it's, it's one of those evolutions in, in the camera. Now, the upside and downside. So the upside is what you see is what you get. You put on a you know, manufacturer's flash, so Sony mirrorless camera, you put on a Sony flash, they communicate with each other, it's still going to work perfectly with that. As soon as you go to what you were mentioning, strobes, whether you're using off-camera lighting system, um, now suddenly the camera doesn't know what the light is going to do. So let's take a standard setting in, in a studio. You step into a studio or you step into an environment where you're going to be at f8, you're going to put your shutter to 1 200th of a second, you might have ISO 100 or 200. And in any situation, Without any external light source, you can have a dark image. And when you're, and, and the camera doesn't know that an external strobe is going to fire. And, and it doesn't know that, it, it, you know, it, until you hit the shutter button and then it sends a signal through the hot shoe, which then sends the signal to the flash and the flash or the strobe fires and now suddenly you've illuminated the image. So what you do when you get into an environment like that, and I do it when I put my camera in a water housing and I'm going to use my external strobe on my water housing or if I'm in a studio and I'm using my pro photo gear, first thing you do is you go to the menu. Um, it's usually in the second tab at the top, so either the gear menu or the camera menu too. Um, you scroll across until it says uh, live view display and you set the live view display to preview off. And what that does is it tells the camera that I don't want to be in that what you see is what you get mode. So when you look through the viewfinder, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see just a bright image. If you change your exposure, it's not going to change. So the upside is, yes, you can change it. But in studio, you're not going to be able to see what you see is what you get. If you're using external strobes, you're going to be chimping. So that's, that's the, the up and the downside. Now, there's another upside, which a lot of people don't realize. I utilize this a lot. And if I'm shooting in a very low light situation, especially if I want to be shooting in, you know, if I go out and I shoot, uh, or any low light situation, but if, if I'm shooting like architecture at night or, um, or just in general shooting some night shots, um, a lot of the times I'll be out and I'll be doing, you know, star trails or shooting stars. I, again, go and I turn my live view preview off. Because what happens is that the LCD or the EVF will gain up. So gain is another term that's used in the video uh, industry for basically adding ISO. Uh, you, you're increasing the sensitivity of what your screen or EVF is going to see. And suddenly you can see in the dark. My result image is not going to be that. So for instance, I could be at ISO 1600. I could be at F2.8 and I could be shooting at one sixtieth of a second. If I was that in a very, very dark situation, you know, the, the what you see is what you get will be okay. I'll, I'll still be, be able to kind of see what I'm going to get. But if I go and set that live view preview off, suddenly my whole screen and my LCD brightens and I could literally see in the dark. When I take my shot, my resultant image would be a darker image than what I'm actually seeing because that's it'll capture what the camera settings are. But I have the benefit of being able to frame in the dark. So that that's another benefit. That's and that's kind of the, the best of all worlds right there. Correct. And and being able to have that choice of being able to utilize it in studio with the live preview off, be able to see in the dark essentially and being able to frame your image uh, without affecting your result image in the dark. 
Um, and much higher, by the way. If you, if you, if I was in that same situation, and I've, I have been in that same situation where I've had a DSLR and a uh, mirrorless camera, and you look through the viewfinder and it's dark, so you don't really see anything, and it's very difficult to actually frame your image or focus and take the shot. You can do that with a mirrorless camera. And if you're, you know, a shooter who sometimes is you know, just out shooting regular landscapes and sometimes is in a studio with strobes and sometimes like you're talking about is, is shooting at night, you could actually have the camera set up three different ways and have that dialed in with the the number settings on the dial. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, that that, that is utilized in many different industries and the way that you've mentioned it now is one of them. Um, I know that uh, a lot of wedding photographers uh, will utilize it that way. They'll have it set up for indoors, for instance, in a church. They'll set it up for uh, outdoors for when they do, you know, the, all the candid shots and they'll set it up for wherever the reception has been held. And, you know, they, they'll have three different settings on their camera that can quickly switch between those. And, you know, the, the all those presets that you have in the camera the time that you save that so you know one may be live preview you know include one of the things that you have in there is live view preview on and the other one might be off uh absolutely that that really makes it quick and easy and i believe in the in the um the nine the seven r3 and the seven three there, there's also uh one of the function buttons that you could set to turn your live view preview on and off so you know the mm -hmm. The flexibility of the, the Sony mirrorless system and our customizability of, of the camera with you know being able to set buttons and uh, custom buttons specifically allows you to, to get to those menus very quickly if that's something that you use on a regular basis. Awesome. Thanks so much, Aldine. Excellent. Thanks, Chris. Do you have a question for the Sony team? We want to know. Go to the show notes at alphauniverse.com to see how to contact us. As editor-in-chief at SLR Lounge, Kishore Saw brings his love of photography and of writing together in one job. As one of the most respected and engaging writers in his field, we wanted to get Kish's advice for up-and-coming bloggers and writers who are struggling to make their written words as engaging as their visual content. We're back with Kish from SLR Lounge, and Kish, I want to talk to you about or get some of your advice for our listeners who would like to be able to have that kind of writing that we were talking about where you're really engaging the next generation of photographers. What's some advice you could give to that? I'm not entirely sure you can properly teach anyone how to write. I think I could probably give a little bit of guidance to make someone's writing a bit more engaging, and I think that's critical at this point juncture uh, in media consumption. You know, there's a quote, uh, I think it's commonly attributed to Mark Twain, and then again, so is everything. And I think it goes something like, whenever you find yourself on the side of majority, it is time to pause and reflect. And I think that bears keeping in mind when it comes to writing. And if everyone, we'll use photography as a medium right now, and if everyone is writing a spec sheet, put yours down. You know, don't do that. And uh, in that vein, when you're writing, and it could be writing for you know, an article could be writing for a script. Avoid the cliches. You know, when you want to say something clever, don't reach into the top of the platitude grab bag to do it. And if you, you know, if your wordplay objectively isn't really actually clever, that's fine. Have the ideas that you bring across be different. Bringing across a thought that many haven't thought of is far more clever anyway than a, you know, a cheeky simile. I don't think there's enough focus, especially when it comes to writing in North America. It's certainly different abroad, particularly in the UK and in Europe. But 
if someone is going to take their time to read what you're saying, I think it's important to keep in mind that we should be entertaining to some degree. And that doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to be a court jester, but give people a reason to move on to the next sentence, to the next paragraph, to actually be where you are. But with the tension spans these days being, you know, lightning bolts, you really do have to keep interest. <laughs> someone uh, someone said, to, said something to me a little while ago, and I, I don't think I will ever forget this, and I should sort of pass this on as crass as it might be. But whenever you're writing something, just always keep it in the back of your head that porn is always just a click away for your audience. And that should give you some idea as to how engaging you probably want to be. And while that's sort of all the bottom shelf advice, I think the the sort of loftier piece I could give would be to write better. The goal of your writing, I would say, is to write what you would if your writing was free of outcome, if you will. And once you can get in that space, you are freer. And what you write will be truer and more original. You don't even have to try. And that will make a real difference in what you're saying. Whatever you're writing, certainly try to have a message. Certainly to tell a story. Have something that is central to the piece. You know, what is the purpose that you're writing this for? What does it mean? I think a lot of that gets lost today. Have a message ring ring through your piece. And... Um, you know, you can approach it like you would a, a science paper if you will have a hypothesis at the start and then, you know, conclude at the end. But have it say something, you know. Forget the spec sheets. Kish, thanks very much. It's really been a pleasure. Anytime. The Alpha Universe podcast is sponsored by Sony and produced by Michael Atlin and me, Christopher Robinson. The executive producer is Alex Stevens. Our engineer is Andy Brohart. Special thanks to the Sony Digital Imaging team, who are always around to patiently answer our questions when it comes to the nuances of camera and lens technology. You can find the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com. Subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Christopher Robinson. Thanks for tuning in.